Amen. That's a fun way to be reminded how blessed we are. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Ephesians chapter 6. Praise God. Don't get too comfortable out there watching on live stream. Scoot up to the edge of your chair. Get your Bible out. Don't be watching me and TV. (laughs) How did he know? Well, I'm just good like that. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Excited to come to you tonight. Uh, Important what I believe God's given me to share. And uh, we've come for such a time as this. Glory to God. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 10. Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Before we read on, I'd like to bring you back in your remembrance to some preaching I did some time ago on the armor of God. Amen. And I don't have it tonight, but if you remember the image I showed about the guy, the fierce Roman soldier leaning into the fiery darts. Amen. And uh, praise God. And uh, be reminded of some of those things. Verse 12, For we wrestle not... I want to remind us about this tonight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Amen. Now, me included, we could all be so tempted. It's just so easy to get irked and irritated, mad, stirred up, upset over people and what they do, especially people in politics, regulators, uh, people in positions of influence who are doing things and setting things forth that are you know, not moral, not good, not profitable, things you don't agree with. Amen. It's easy to want to just get in a mode where you want to contend with them. Amen. But we must remember that there is a spirit at work behind every evil act. Those people are wittingly, knowingly, or unknowingly being influenced by dark and demonic powers. Amen. And they are the ones, those entities are the ones with whom we must contend. Amen. And it takes reminding, it takes a renewed mind, and it it takes ourselves being willing to be spiritual enough to remind ourselves, I'm going to deal with you and I'm going to deal with that, but I'm not going to deal with you face to face. It's not going to be natural. My weapons are not natural. My weapons as as a Christian are not carnal, but I have weapons... And the Bible tells me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. This is all in the spirit realm. There is a hierarchy, amen, of demonic power and organization in the spirit realm on Satan's side, just like on God's side. Wherefore, you might say, uh, in light of this, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be... How many of you know you're supposed to dress yourself? That's right. Right? It's not my job to come dress you. (laughs) It's your job. Amen. Amen. To take unto yourself the whole armor of God, and it's important that you do. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Amen. And having done all to stand, stand. It didn't say retreat. It didn't say hide. It didn't say cry. It didn't say whine. Amen. It said stand. Stand therefore having your loins. See, if you're dressed right spiritually, there is something between you and your adversary. Right? When I put on my breastplate of righteousness, there is something between me and my adversary. I have a breastplate. I have a shield. I have a helmet. I have a sword. Come on. And I, ha- I am not living in these last days facing what we're facing without defense. Amen. Amen? Yeah. And we need to learn to become skillful with our weapons 
and with our armor. Amen. So that we can walk about uh, life, conduct life, and not respond like the world's responding. Not have happened to us what the world is having happened to them. And that we can move forward in the plan of God and actually take ground. Amen. Amen. That's what God wants us to do. Hallelujah. And so again he says, uh, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the good news of peace, and above all taking the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. How many of them? All. All of them. COVID is a fiery dart. The Delta is a fiery dart. Economic, governmental responses can be fiery darts. Amen. Uh, People that want to lie on you, criticize you, be offended at you, cancel you, fiery dart. Amen. Sickness, whatever it is, financial attacks, mental attacks, fiery dart. The armor, the shield of faith is able to quench all of them. I'm telling you, don't leave the house without it. Amen. Because Amen. the fiery darts, they are a-swirling out there. Hallelujah. But I tell you what, when you're dressed right, and you know something about your armor, and you gain some skill in how they work, you're unintimidated. You're not afraid to face what you have to face. Amen. And some of what I mean is uh, standing up for what is right. When the forces of hell are endeavoring to intimidate and force everybody to accept and cower down to what is wrong. And it's so easy to say, I won't stand this time. I'll let this slide. I'll fight in the next battle. And church, you know, we're going to lose America if we keep doing that. The mind wants to say, she's already gone, we've lost America. I don't believe that's true, but we're close. I said, but we're close. I'm not saying we won't become a, you know, uh, you know, that we're going to be invaded or America will not be, but at America as you've known it. America as I, you know, as we've known it doesn't, doesn't have to be, and it's on its way to not being what it was. Amen. And uh, there's a battle to fight. We, we could turn the tide. Because with God, all things are possible. Amen. So he talks to us about all these fire darts, taking the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here's why I wanted to bring you here again. What is God having us emphasize? Prayer. Prayer. Remember, he spoke to me. I don't have that with me tonight. But he spoke to me through a tongue and interpretation in a time of prayer. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon and said, bring prayer to the forefront. Bring it to the forefront. And he said to me, get it in them, talking about you, that we must have more people praying. We, right? We must get it in you better and more that prayer must be at the forefront of who we are and what we value and what we do. Now, I believe some of the things we're seeing is a reason why God is saying, bring it to the forefront. Should have always been at the forefront, but we're facing times where, amen, you know, uh, we've got to, we've got to renew our mind. Church, you, you get on Facebook, I've done it too, you can do whatever you want, you can rant and rave, you can spread your videos, do it, that's fine. But if that's all you do, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans. In fact, it'll probably do nothing but hurt your faith and stress you out. If you do all that, you watch all these videos, please watch this video, you do all of this, and you never pray, and you never come to prayer, and you never intercede, and you never put your armor on, you're hurting, not helping. And don't don't get me wrong, I've been sucked into it, especially in that election season. You know, I get sucked into it too. I'm just not going back there. That's not where our power is. That's not where our influence is. That's not where our impact is. That's not where the effect of change is going to come from. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. 
Paul said all of this about being strong and all of this about putting on the armor and all of this about an evil day and all of this about reminding us that our, 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 our adversary is not really people but if there are these demonic spirits and then he culminates at the climax, the cherry on the top, the point you should not miss is praying always. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Amen. I want to take a moment tonight and talk to you about repairing the broken down altars of prayer. Repairing the broken down altars of prayer. If you would skip back to the left to Acts chapter 1. And I would love to spend a few minutes praying tonight. I don't know that we'll be able to. Uh, amen. But I want to get this into you. And I may read more from my notes than I normally do because there just seemed to be a special anointing on me when I type them. And of course, I don't have them memorized in my head. and But I have them down here on paper. In Acts chapter 1, you remember that Jesus, as He was preparing to ascend from His resurrection and take His permanent place at the Father's right hand, at least until His return, uh, He instructed the disciples that would listen to remain in Jerusalem and don't, don't do anything that he taught them about advancing the Great Commission and preaching and all of that until they were endued with power, clothed with power from on high. I want to talk a little bit tonight about power. To turn the tide of, of what's happened to our country and to our church, churches, to the moral condition of life in our country, it's going to take power. And it's going to take far more than organizing power, Facebook power, YouTube power, picketing power, political power. And we need to be engaged in all of it. Don't get me wrong. Amen. But to do all of that and neglect where our real power is, is foolhardy. You know, one of the things that we have to guard against is all of this stuff engaging in all of this is pleasing to the flesh. Isn't it? Yeah! Let's get them. Let's type it. Let's share it. Let's join it. Let's show up. Let's yell. Let's scream. Let's. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do some of that. I'm just saying that's pleasing to the flesh. But it doesn't produce the kind of power it's going to take to confront the evil forces that have gained so much ground in our country. And why have they? Because Christians have shown not shown up to the fight. It's not because Satan's got more power. He doesn't. Amen. But when he's the only one to show up for the battle, he's going to take the day. And the church has been too distracted, too carnal, too busy trying to make friends with the world and become relevant. And we have neglected plugging in to our real source of power that I, I mean, do you remember when the disciples were following Jesus along and uh, some, some guy or some people did something that uh, riled them up or was anti and Peter and the disciples say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them like Elijah did? And Jesus was like, hey, whoa guys, hold on a minute. The Son of Man has come to save people's lives, not destroy them. What He was really saying to them is be careful about that kind of talk. Why? Because you have that kind of power. In other words, if they went to doing that, with the kind of authority that had already been to get delegated to them, fire would have come down and consumed them. And Jesus is trying to say, look, that's a different day. That's, this is a different day. I'm here... You really, the revelation didn't come till Ephesians, this New Testament. These people are not the great problem. These spiritual forces are the problem. We need to direct our attention and our focus there. And you can only do that by being spiritual, not natural. But you're going to have to set aside and overcome the things that please our flesh to be spiritual and to pray. And oh, how I hear the call of God in my heart on His people to answer this call. Amen. 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 So here we are in Acts chapter 1. 
And verse 4, we'll, we'll just highlight a few verses here that were commanded them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Amen. And he said, wait for it. Amen. I tell you what, in these last days, one of the things God's going to do, I believe, and uh, praise God, is so needed, is a fresh experience of the baptism with the Holy Ghost on those who have already been filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. But there is going to come a revival to the mainstream denominations like there was in the charismatic times because He needs His people. Amen. If there is to be a revival before the church age ends, and I believe that He's waiting on one, it's going to take a baptism of power. It's going to take the church receiving power from on high. Not politics from on high. Power from on high. Amen. And in verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Come on, that is what we need. We need to have. We need to seek. We need to not be content to not have a fresh dose of divine power living upon us. When we go to work, we need power. When we go to the shopping mall, we need power. Amen. When they try to put stuff on us, all this junk, we need to have power on us. Amen. Power not to cower. Hallelujah. To bow our knee. We're going to have to be Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednego in the face of Nebuchadnezzar in these last days. We're going to have to be willing to be tossed into the fire. Amen. Praise God. And so he said, wait. Well, in verse 14, what were they doing while they waited? In verse 14, it says, these all continued... With one accord in prayer. What did they do? They prayed. They prayed together. They were in unity together in prayer. They were not content to say, I'll pray from home. I'm with you in spirit. I got somebody's toes right there, didn't I? No, they continued with one accord in prayer and supplications with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's 120 of them. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. They didn't pray for two days or three days or for a week. Surely something would happen in a week. They prayed for 50 days. Come on. They stayed in the same room for 50 days. Praying. Waiting on God. Seeking the face of God. Calling upon God, expecting God to fulfill His promise of bringing power to their lives. They were not content to live without it. You all with me? Chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost, that's 50 days, Amen, was fully come, they were with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. You know the story? And they were all. How many of them? They were all. All of them. Not just the preachers, not just the apostle, not just Mother Mary, but all who prayed and all who sought and all who waited on God. They all were endued with power. They all had the flame and the fire of God come upon their head. Amen. They all received the anointing of God afresh from heaven upon their lives. Amen. But of course, I wanted to point you here that in there, a gathering uh, because of the sound of the city of Jerusalem, this sound from heaven, and it gathered this great multitude of inquirers, and one man stood up under a fresh dose of power. One man, Peter, stood up, uh, and he was given, he had power from on high. And under that unction of the Spirit, under that anointing of the Spirit, he was God's chosen vessel in that moment. Not, right? It's just he, God happened to just use him in that moment. John was there. The others were there. But the anointing fell upon him. Amen. And in that atmosphere of prayer for 50 days and united prayer and seeking God and a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, he stood up under the anointing and he preached a message and 3,000 souls came to the Lord in one sermon. 
But it's a sermon not like every other sermon. It's a sermon that had been backed by 50 days of united prayer. This sermon came out of this man of God, but he can't take credit for it. It came as the result of unified corporate prayer, seeking God. This outpouring came as an answer to all of their prayers. That sermon was backed by prayer. And it was infused and anointed by a fresh dose of heaven's power. And that, it wasn't the words, it was the words of God, the anointing of God that moved men's hearts from all over the world to accept the gospel in that moment. But today, we have 3,000 sermons preached and not one soul won. Church service after church service in congregations and churches across America and nobody leaves the same. Nobody leaves different. Nobody's seen a miracle. Nobody's seen the move of God. And they're waiting for the pastor to just be a little more studied and a little more polished and have a little more jokes and have a little more, you know, homiletically perfected sermons. Surely that will move people to salvation. No. No. A thousand times no. It takes, we need, I need, I need more. Amen. Amen. And we're blessed around here, but come on. Amen. More of my sermons. Anyone who gets up here, those sermons backed by a congregation that has been seeking God, calling upon God, waiting on God. Speak to us, Father. Baptize us anew and afresh with the Holy Ghost. Pour out Your Spirit upon us. We have to have power. Give our pastor power. Let him speak with power so that when he speaks, God is on what he speaks. Only God being on what we do in church and say in church is going to move anybody to real change. Amen. Amen. I want to get to the place where one sermon affects thousands instead of thousands of sermons affecting no one. And prayer is the answer. Pastor Nancy gave me a great treasure trove years ago of a hard drive full of her collection of old books and documents and things from... Believers of old, and I don't even know who this brother is by Reverend E. Wiggle. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I don't, it's the first I've ever heard. And he wrote this book called We Must Conquer on Our Knees. Let me read a paragraph from what he wrote. There is no lack of machinery in the church and Sunday school. What is wanting in so many instances is the power of the Holy Ghost to energize the church machinery. The Spirit of God is the great agent who is the source of all vitality and power in the church. His life and power are given in answer to the prayer of faith, and never otherwise. The Holy Spirit's not impressed with any church's programs and outreaches, even the ones He authored. It takes His anointing and power upon church programs and machinery to make them effective. And that only comes when those things are backed by sufficient prayer. We must repent and stop excusing ourselves from the prayer effort. Nothing you have going on in your life is so whatever that you're completely dismissed from the responsibility of praying with us. For the plan of God to move forward. And I and we will all give an account to Jesus. His life and power are given, talking about the Holy Spirit, in answer to the prayer of faith and never otherwise. How did the early church get this power? What could they have done without this power? What did they do with it? What can we do without it? What can we do with it? How are we going to get it? A writer says of the St. Brahmel, I attribute the great portion of his success in the ministry to his diligence in prayer. As we advance, we see in prayer the great means for obtaining strength and wisdom for our work in the Lord's service. As we understand this subject, we will see more and more that intercessory prayer is the most important and the most real work that that a Christian has to do. Your Christian work is not complete because you served in the cafe. 
My Christian work is not complete because I prepared, studied and prepared a sermon. Amen. Prevailing prayer leads us into a holy and intimate nearness to God. It is the only way to approach God, the only medium of communion, communing with Him. Prevailing with God is the secret of prevailing with men. How many of you, you want to prevail in the world of men? He's saying the only way you can do that is to first prevail with God in prayer. Because it's those who do that that carry His anointing and His power. Amen. If we want to prevail in the realm with men, we must first transact with God at the throne of grace. We may pray and sing and preach until we drop into our graves, but until we prevail, all will go for nothing. It is one thing to pray and another thing to prevail in prayer. Now, do you get that? What does he mean to prevail in prayer? You pray till you get bored and most people quit. Most people begin to pray, they pray a little bit, and then their mind gets them distracted with all that they have to do and accomplish. They begin to yawn, get sleepy and tired, and so they quit. Prevailing in prayer means to pray beyond all of the limitations of the flesh until you gain and lay hold of heaven and revelation and God's answer and you get power. Amen. Whoo, glory. Go with me back to Genesis chapter 28. And that's not correct, but Genesis late chapters will get you there. I'll get you the right. It's verse 28. Let me give you, find you the chapter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Genesis 32, 28. Come on. God, what's he doing? He's just endeavoring to stir us. To motivate us, to inspire us, to get us to refocus and reorient ourselves to the place, to the activity that's going to bring about the real change we seek. You know, in Oklahoma, uh, they have an ice cream store that's an Oklahoma-based company called Brahms. Anybody ever been to a Brahms? Oh, you have been treated. You get to Arkansas, Springfield, Missouri, it's the closest one around here that I know of, go to a Brahms. And the reason they won't just be nationalist is because they won't put a store that's too, so many miles away from their dairies where they grow and milk and do all that because everything's fresh. And so almost every night, every day when we visit Oklahoma, we make an ice cream run. I mean, we're just wise. So we were there with my dad and Enjoying cappuccino chunky chocolate and a waffle cone. And, and in comes this precious soul. He's obviously a man. But he's dressed as a girl. And I, my heart, this person is obviously... You know, I bet if I ask, could ask him, and if he was really honest, if I said, Are you happy? you got to know he'd say no. You could see what darkness, lies, deception, demonic influences that make you feel things has got precious humanity so twisted, so marred, so confused that they're not even clear on whether they're a boy or a girl. Listen. Giving that guy a hard time, that's not the kind of power that's going to change him. Right? I mean, getting real angry about stuff, and that's not going to do it. What kind of remedy would it take to save that soul? Only a divine, supernatural, God-sent, Grace and power from heaven. And that power is at our disposal. But we don't release it, activate it, direct it, tap into it by picketing. Or voting. 
or Facebooking. Only by prayer. Only by prayer. Amen. Will we access that kind of power? But there's nothing hard about it. There's nothing mysterious about it. Will we just simply decide, I'm going to seek the face of God in prayer by myself and with other believers as we have opportunity until we see God fight for us. Until we let God know we are not going to give up our country and our children and our communities over to the devil without a fight. A real one. Amen. Pastor Chris. Genesis chapter 32. Chronicles a day in the life of Jacob. and Jacob has a storied past of being a liar and a manipulator, and a deceiver, and a thief, and would steal from his own brother, and family, and did. And now he's about to have an encounter years later with his brother. The last word he got from his brother all those years ago was, when I see him, I'm going to kill him. He meant it. He hadn't talked to Jacob since that day. In verse number 24, Jacob, they were camped and everybody had kind of got down for the night. He evidently broke away from the camp, got, got off by himself. In Genesis thirty-two twenty-four, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled. He wrestled a man. Now don't be fooled. This is, the, this is God. Amen? Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled uh, a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he the angel, the angel of God, God, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and as he wrestled with him. And he said, Jacob said, let, or excuse me, the angel of the Lord said, let me go for the day breaketh. Now notice, he did this all night long. Not for 15 minutes. Amen. All night long he wrestled, for we wrestle. Amen. There is a spiritual wrestling. Amen. And he said, uh, for the daybreak, it let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the blessing he sought, you just have to study for yourself to prove out what I'm saying is right. He, his, the blessing he wanted was change me. I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to be Jacob. I don't want to be deceiver. I don't want to be manipulator. I don't want to be liar. I don't want to be thief anymore. Change me. And the response came, verse 27, And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. If you look up the Hebrew meaning for Jacob, you'll understand the descriptions that I've given. And he said, Thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God. How did Jacob become Israel? How did he achieve a life-changing, character-altering, I'll never be the same encounter with God? How did he do it? He prevailed in prayer. He sought it and would not be denied it until he gained it. And he did. What are you struggling with? What have you struggled with your whole life? It sure gets quiet, doesn't it? Jacob's not the only one with problems. Maybe you're chronically negative. Maybe you're a chronic gossip. Maybe you're a chronic deceiver. Maybe you're a chronic, you know, anger person. Whatever it is. Amen. These things can be changed. These things, you could be altered. You could be fixed. Jacob wrestled with God. And he said, I will not let you go until you give me what I came for. And the response came like a prince. You have power with God. How did he get power with God? He got power with God because he prayed. He didn't get power with God because he went to church. And he didn't get power with God because he was Abraham's grandson. He gained power with God that changed his life forever. Amen. And he never walked the earth the same man. 
And he was able to face his brother the next day with humility, with a repentant heart, and with a confidence and an assurance that no matter what, God was with him. That God would take care of him. They had a wonderful encounter. Esau had also been dealt with by God. And they were reconciled. Come on. God is in the reconciliation business. But I wanted you to see here. Do you see here? Jacob had power. Now notice how that verse ends. Like a prince, you have power, you have power with God and with men. And with men. Now because of his wrestling in the spirit, he's now going to prevail in the realm of man. And he did. He did. He didn't do it, though, through his charismatic personality. He did it in the Spirit. I think y'all are just taking it in, but you haven't left me, have you? Praise God. This is, this is wonderful. And you have prevailed. Let's close tonight over in 1 Kings. Ooh, glory. Now maybe next Wednesday night, maybe you should come ready. However the Lord leads, maybe all we'll do is pray and worship and sing and seek the face of God and let's get some power on us. <laughs> maybe we should just take Wednesday and back up Sunday's sermon with some united prayer. I, I don't know, whatever God wants. Amen. Just to, we're going to look here in 1 Kings 17 and 18 just quickly, but uh, the first mention we ever have, we don't really get any background uh, of Elijah, the prophet, in his life. He steps on the scene of Scripture right here in 1 Kings 17, 1, and it says, Elijah the Tishbite, so that's about all we know about him, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, now Ahab is king of Israel at that time, and uh he has, under his leadership and with Jezebel, taken the whole nation into darkness, into debauchery, into idolatry, sound like the nation we live in, into sin, into sexual immorality, into the worship of Baal. They turned their back on God. They turned their back on the Word. They took their back, took their, turned their back on the covenant. And they walked away from God. And they provoked God. And Ahab is presiding over this turn from God. He and Jezebel. And so Elijah the prophet, he steps upon the scene and he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Ooh, that's power, isn't it? He's saying over the whole kingdom, there isn't going to come rain upon the land, except at my word. Now that's power. That's power that will make people listen. You know, we have a power available to us that if we'll wield it, it will make politicians listen. That's right. We're on the verge, Reverend Conwell, the greatest healing revival we've ever seen. Because from what I'm hearing, they don't have enough nurses and hospital staff to man the thing. And yet people are sicker than ever. We need to give them a place to turn. Amen. But when they turn in here, there better be power yeah. on the shelf. And that power only comes one way. Amen. Wigglesworth prophesied all those years ago. He saw in the Spirit this day. And he said, I see the hospitals being emptied out. And you think, how could this ever happen? But as the world crumbles, God is going to fill the remnant of His people who will seek Him with a glorious power you have never seen or read about. And you won't, you're not supposed to just witness it on me or others. You're supposed to walk in it yourself. Carry it everywhere you go. Hallelujah. We are standing on the threshold of the greatest day and the greatest moment the body of Christ has ever had. Doesn't look like it out there. Doesn't feel like it in here. But we're there. We're coming. By the Spirit, I tell you. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have any of it. You just dry and shrivel up and become a raisin if you want. But I, I refuse. I was telling the Lord the other night, 
I'm looking at the time. Father, I refuse to be lukewarm. I refuse to be unfeeling. I refuse to be ho-hum about you. And why would I say that? Because sometimes I feel like that in my natural man. I'm just being honest. But I refuse. I am not okay. I will not. That is my mind. That is my flesh. That's feelings. But in my spirit, I'm leaping. I'm leaping. I'm longing. I'm searching. I'm hungry. It's funny, in Revelation, it's Jesus saying to His people, you say you're rich. You say you're blessed. You say you have need of nothing, yet you do not know that you're poor and you're naked. and You're wretched. You're lukewarm and I'm throwing you up out of my mouth. See, we've been enjoying material blessing and increase and that's from God, but don't let it make you apathetic and lukewarm and spiritually lazy. Because that money doesn't make you anything. It's just money. That stuff doesn't make you anything. It's just stuff. Enjoy it. Use it. Fine. But if you have that, and you don't pray and you're apathetic and you're not excited about the Word and you have no idea what God's called you to do in life, you're poor. You're wretched. You're in need. And Jesus said to His people, come to Me and buy. Buy gold refined in the fire. Buy from Me I salve to put on your eyes so that you can begin to see what you need to see. Come unto me if you're thirsty and I'll give you a drink freely from the waters of life. And it just occurs to me, how do you come unto Him? You do that in prayer. Don't you? You do that in prayer. So I love this. He says, according to my word, in verse 2 it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence. And, and God gave him instruction, uh, Elijah, about how to be sustained in the midst of this drought. Skip to uh, chapter 18. We're almost done. Amen. And so uh, this went on for three and a half years. Three and a half years it did not rain. Now that's power. Amen. You know we have greater clout in the new covenant. I don't care if you think you're the pinky toe on the left foot in the body of Christ. You've got more clout in the new covenant in that position than Elijah did as a major prophet in the Old Testament. Amen. Amen. And so verse 1 it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Hallelujah. And of course, they had to go find him in Obadiah and read all those interesting verses. And verse 17 says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said unto him, Ah, there you are, the one that troubles Israel. Isn't that what the, uh, the, uh, the demonically inspired powers that be? They're pointing at Christians and saying, Ah, look at the ones that trouble our nation. These ones who won't progress. These ones who are in these old, out-of-date values. They won't embrace. They cling to their guns and their Bibles. And they won't move along with us. And Hillary Rodham Clinton said, running for president, that Christians and Bible-believing people need to be made to change what they think about sexuality. Quote, end quote. I'm not being political with you. I'm just telling you, these are the four... And Ahab, uh, this wicked king, is pointing at the godly one saying, look, you're the one that troubles Israel. And look... Uh, look at what Elijah said. He didn't say, oh, please don't fire me. Please don't cancel me. Please don't suspend my Facebook account. That's not what he said. He said, no, you're the one that troubles Israel. Put it right back on him. You're the one. And your leadership and your wickedness has brought, these are my words paraphrasing, this difficulty upon our land and upon our nation. And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baal. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. 
And bring the prophets of Baal, uh, 450, and the prophets uh, of the groves, 400, uh, which eat. And so 450 total. So Ahab sent, and they all gathered on Mount Carmel. You all remember this story? And Elijah said, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will you sit and stand between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the, wor- and the people answered Him, Not a word. Yeah, I'll bet that's right. Amen. And so he gave a challenge to the prophets of Baal. We're going to call on, I'm going to call on my God. You're going to call on your God and the God who answers by fire. That'll be the one that's God. You remember this, right? He said, y'all go first. And so they started in the morning and they called and they prayed and they chanted and they cried and nothing came. Nothing came. In verse 27 it says and at noon that Elijah began to mock them and said, why don't you cry louder? For he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is on a journey or peradventure maybe he's napping. That's my word. And must be awakened. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. And they cried aloud and cut themselves. They cut, they begin to cut themselves and chant, do all their demonic stuff, trying to get their idol to answer them. But... He wasn't coming. You know, sadly, all these people worshiping all that they worship, it's all coming down. It's all coming down. Amen. It's all coming down. The God of sports is coming down. The God of health care is coming down. The God of government and government largesse is coming down. So they cried aloud and they cut themselves. Verse 29, it came to pass when midday was past that they prophesied until the time of the altar. So they went another several hours and there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And here's the title of my sermon. And he repaired the altar of the Lord before things could turn. The whole nation's in a bad way. Right? National Israel is a type of the New Testament church. We're in a bad way right now. Collectively, we're in a bad way. The first thing he did was repair the broken down altar. And I just believe, not claiming a prophetic voice, but I just believe this is the assignment of the church in this moment. Congregation by congregation, family by family, individual by individual. How about your individual prayer life? Is it broken down? Is it been neglected? Is it got dust all over it? Repair your personal altar of prayer if needed. Repair your family altar of prayer. Pastors and churches and leaders, we have to, we have to repair the broken down long-neglected church altar of prayer. So he did that. He repaired the broken-down altar of the Lord. And then he began to rebuild. Everything the church does should be built upon the Word and prayer. The Word and prayer. We've been doing the Word. God wants more prayer. Amen. Verse 33, and he put the the wood in order. You remember what he did, right? He did what, he didn't ask them, he wet down his own altar. You ever had Kentucky, you know, waterlogged wood, you want to have campfire? It's kind of tough to get going. Amen. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, what is he doing? He is praying, isn't he, church? Let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Oh, how the body of Christ needs people who haven't just said they heard from God, they really heard from God. All this internet stuff, I heard from God, I had they didn't hear nothing. 
You want to how no? None of it came to pass. Stop following people who said stuff that didn't come to pass. That's what the Bible says to do in the Old Testament. And uh, so, praise God. Where are we? 36. I am thy servant. All these things have been done at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God. And that thou hast turned their heart back again. See, God wants to send something from heaven today that will turn the people's heart back toward God. But He needs a few of us to repair the broken altar of prayer and call on Him to do it so that He will. So that He can. Oh, praise God. Amen. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Ooh, come on. I, oh, I can hear Dr. Frank. That's where he says, stand to your feet. You know what? I don't know. Ooh, glory to God. Amen. I can hear Dad from heaven. Pat me on the back. Preach it, son. I don't know. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Doctor, he lived for this day. He longed for this day. And consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. We won't turn there, but you remember in James chapter 5, James teaching the whole church on prayer? Elijah was a man. He was just a man. With like passions, like you and me. With, what that means is with like human inadequacies and challenges. Like everybody else. Yet when he prayed, right? The earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Makes great power available that is dynamic in its working. It's an invitation in the New Testament. It's, these things, yes, his prophet's office was important. But the emphasis James is bringing over into the New Testament is the prophet's real power was in his prayer. And we, though we're human like he was, we can pray also and tap into power that will change things. Amen. Are you stirred? Woo, praise God. Hallelujah. Stand up with me tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God.